Well, hello. Week two of a three-part series, just looking at the Psalms. I love the Psalms. What a gift they are to God's people, these collections of songs and poems that explore who God is and a whole range of emotions and uh, allow us just to put words to so many of our emotions at times. And So I, I, I love being able to preach to you. We're going to be in Psalm 65. Uh, and I'm going to read it in just a moment, but before I do, the, the Psalm essentially is uh, broken down into what you could call three verses, three stanzas, if you like, three kind of sections. And each one is like a kind of layer revealing more about, I guess, what God is like and, and also why we should praise him. Uh, it reminds me a bit, I don't know, if, I'm not particularly into art galleries. I've been to a few mainly because they're free and there's something to do. And when you go into an art gallery, occasionally, in the middle of one of these kind of rooms might be a big sculpture or something that they call is art that looks particularly unimpressive. But it's in the middle for a reason. You're supposed to look at it from kind of different angles and different layers. So you kind of look this way, you might go around and look at it from the side and look it up and the other side. And each angle that you look at it from, it kind of presents a different... Uh, I guess, example, different viewpoint, helps you to understand the piece more and to appreciate it more. The, the more you look at it, the, the, the more, at times, the more you look at it, the more you think this looks like it could have been done by a five-year-old. But sometimes the more you look at it, it looks like, wow, this is actually amazing. Um, and the psalm that we look at today basically does that. If you like titles, I'm going to call this Praise Awaits You. It, it begins with basically, this is uh, it's a psalm of praise and then it kind of draws out three different ways, different ways to look at God, different angles to see him that make us appreciate him even more for who he is. And so we're going to look at those in part. I'm going to give it away at the start. The, the, the kind of three that we'll see before I read it are Redeemer in the first verse. In the second verse, we see God as creator. And in the third, we see him as our provider. And so there's a giveaway. Um, don't turn off now. Uh, I'm going to read it. And then we're going to spend some time just exploring that together as if we were in an art gallery, just looking at three different angles of the same piece. Hopefully this psalm looks like it's, it's, it's master crafted. I can tell you that is. This is not done by a five-year-old. Master crafted, written by David, um, who wrote many of the psalms. And so let's uh, read this together. Psalm 65, starting at verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hears prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of all the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being gridded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and of the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water, you provide their corn 
for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, setting its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills grid themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with corn and they shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just say a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful psalm, uh, for, for the word of God that is uh, just uh, God-breathed and profitable for us for teaching. And Lord, we, we want to pray that as we hear this word, uh, as we uh, delve into it, Lord, we don't just want to go through the motions. We're not here to hear a nice talk about the psalms, sing a couple songs and go home. We, we want revelation of who you are. We want to be changed and transformed. And so we, we say, come by your Holy Spirit, Will you uh, be moving uh, and uh, awakening in us uh, things of who you are, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, this is a psalm of praise. And, and it begins with, with literally saying, praise is due to you. Other versions will say, praise awaits you. Praise is waiting for God in Zion. In, in, his, in, his holy, in many ways, Zion is kind of a way to talk about uh, a phrase of a Jerusalem, really, up on the, on the mountain of Zion where Jerusalem was built, the holy hill where God's presence dwelt, where God's people came to meet with him. So praise waits for you. Praise is due to you in Zion, O Lord. And then what you see in these first four verses, this first verse, is, is it basically tells you why praise is due to, to the Lord. You kind of get, the whole thing points to him as a redeemer. We're going to praise him as a redeemer. But within that, we see three things. And in fact, each of the verses you'll see that, that it kind of talks about who God is. He's a redeemer. And it also places it in almost like a location. In this one, he's a redeemer in the temple, in Zion. And we'll see three things that he does as a redeemer, which causes us to praise him. The first comes in, in verse two. It says, he's the one who hears our prayers and all flesh come. Like we praise him, why? God, God in heaven, God in Zion, hears the prayers of his people. Sometimes I talk with people and I think, oh, you know, God's not, I don't know if God's hearing my prayers, he really answering, answering my prayer. God always answers prayer. Well, you, you may have heard it been said that it's three answers, yes, no, or not yet. Often God is not, it's not that he's not answering your prayers, he's not giving you the answer that you want. Sometimes, yeah, he'll answer a prayer and then that's it. We see an answer to prayer straight away, you think, wow. Other times he's actually saying, no, the thing that we're praying for is not the thing that we need. Or, the, or, or maybe it's not the timing that we need. It's not yet, not yet, just wait. But he, he, he always hears our prayers. You can rest assured, we've been, you may be praying today, we pray on this morning. I prayed before, uh, you know, I, I shared the word. We pray through the service. God hears our prayers and all flesh, all people shall come to him. So that's the first thing. So we can, be, we, we, we can praise await you, but you're a redeemer who hears our prayers. The second thing is where we get this idea of a redeemer from. Because the second thing he does is he pardons sin. He's the one who, it says, you know, you atone for our transgressions. When sins, when iniquities prevail against me, verse 3, you atone our transgressions. When our sin comes against us, you know, when our sin overwhelms us, he pardons it. 
don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you, you, your sin, the things that you've done, they end up kind of, you begin to be overwhelmed by it because you're in a, a sticky situation and, and you know that you're there as a result of your sin. I, I share a trivial example that I shared with the young people at New Day actually last week. When I was about 14, 15, me and a few of my friends used to, um, we would go up to Trafalgar Square. I'd go down to Grove Park, get a train up to Charing Cross and spend the night up at Trafalgar Square in central London. But my mum wouldn't have wanted me doing that, so I told her I was going to Rob's house. And there was one occasion where we just completely gaffed it because we missed the train that we were supposed to get on to, to get back in time. We just missed it. And so we get another train and, uh, and my mum calls me while I'm on the train. And you know, no. I got, she answers the phone, she says, oh, where are you, it's re really noisy. So yeah, there's a few people at, at, at Rob's house tonight, mum, you know, there's a few people here. Oh, okay, well, well let me give you a lift home, it's, it's late. I said, oh no, don't, <laughs> I mean, let me just say, whenever you got offered a lift home, you always take it, it's like, yeah, great. No, don't worry, mum, we'll get the bus. No, 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 I'll give you a lift home. No, no, I, you know what, mum, I think Rob's mum actually mentioned she'll give us a lift home. So don't worry about it, you stay home. Well, let me speak to Rob's mum. I mean, my mum knew she weren't born yesterday. I say, no, mum, um, Rob's mum's on the toilet. That's the best I could come up with. She's got like one lie after another, after another, after another. And she's like, okay, I'll wait. And um, in the end, I had to come clean. It's kind of, you, you, my lies were catching up with me and, and, and I had to suffer the consequences before I got home. I got a telling off. I think I could go out for a little while. And that's a trivial example. But there's other examples where our sin gets us into mess and we can feel overwhelmed by it. Maybe even today you're thinking there's scenarios, situations, you're just feeling overwhelmed. It feels like it's prevailing against me. When we get like that, we have to be reminded of the truth that it says that, that our sin is atoned for, our sin is dealt with. And in those days, it would have been done at the temple. The temple was the place where sin got dealt with. You went to the temple, goats or lambs, bulls, they would have had their blood shed and, and sacrificed, and that blood would have dealt with your sin. You're atoned for, he's the God who atones for your sin. And what's even greater for us is, is that no longer is, is our sin dealt with at the temple. Now our sin's been dealt with at the cross that Christ has atoned for our sin, that he has is, he is ransomed, he's redeemed us by laying down his life, by shedding his blood, that we no longer go to the temple and sacrifice animals, but we go to, we go to the cross. That, that our sin, past, present, future, has been dealt with, has been pardoned, has been atoned for when we turn to Christ. And so praise awaits him because he hears our prayers. He has pardoned our sin. And the final thing that it says that he's done is that he has satisfied our souls, verse four, in this first verse. It says, you've satisfied us with the goodness of your house. We, we, we can praise and await him because there is nothing else that satisfies us as it is in dwelling in the house of the Lord. This time of year, many of us will be thinking about holidays. I got back from New Day. New Day's a tiring week. It's a fantastic week. God does amazing things. But for anyone who goes, it's tiring. And I found myself this week kind of daydreaming about how nice it would be to just have a week, maybe like lounging by the pool somewhere. I thought, oh, that'd be nice. You know, that, that'd be real satisfying. And, and listen, it would be for a week while I'm there. When you come home, suddenly there's a distant memory. We can look for things and think, oh, this will really satisfy me. Maybe there's uh, things that we think, yeah, I find satisfaction in that. Even a good meal. You go and eat a good meal, I was satisfied until, you, until you're hungry again. All these things, they're temporary. 
But when we find satisfaction in the house of the Lord, dwelling in his house, it satisfies our soul permanently beyond anything else that could ever offer. And this is what David is getting at. He's going, praise awaits him. This is the first verse. Praise awaits him. Why? Because he hears our prayers. He's, he atones my sin. He satisfies my soul. He's a redeemer. He's redeemed us. And because he's redeemed us, he calls us to himself. He even says that. It says that he's chose to bring us near to him to satisfy our souls. And so that's the first thing. That, that, that Almost like that's the first thing we see. We turn up. We see this psalm. We see God. There's the first layer. He is our redeemer. But then David wants to take us around to look at it from a different angle. Let's look, at, let's look at God. Let's look at the reasons why we should praise him. Let's take it from a different view. And this is where we get from verses five through to eight. He then wants to talk. Uh, he takes us outside of just the temple and of Israel. And he begins to talk about the ends of the earth. He says, your awesome deeds, God of salvation, hope goes to the end of the earth. He's now going to begin to talk about God as creator, not as redeemer, but as creator. And not just in the temple, just for the people of Israel, but to the ends of the earth, the creator of the whole world. Sometimes in church, when we talk about the world, it always becomes quite negative. I don't know if you've ever found that. It's kind of like, you know, we don't want to act like the world. You know, that's very worldly. You know, we're not of the, you know, we're in the world, we're not of the world. Sometimes it can be a negative sense. Here, sometimes when you've got to think about the world, we also got to remember that God created the entire world. He's the creator of it all to the ends of the very earth. And so um, now we get this image of him as creator. And again, we, we see that kind of played out in three things I think David can pull out for us. There's a lot of threes today. The first thing is in verse six. As a creator, he says that he established the mountains. So the first thing he does is he fixes mountains. And let's just stop there for a moment. I don't know if you've been to many mountains. Um, Andrew's book, God of All Things, uh, Andrew Wilson, in it he talks about this mountain that uh, I've kind of just written down here. It's called Kanjenjunga. Kanjenjunga. Have a go at saying that now, wherever you are. Kanjenjunga. Now have a go at spelling it. Yeah, not, not, not so easy. Um, it's quite a fascinating mountain because it's actually the third biggest mountain in the world, highest peak. You have Everest. You know, and, and then I think uh, there's some other big mountain in Asia, D2 or something like that, something, K2 I think it is. And then the third one is this mountain, Kanjenjunga, and you think, well, why is it, it's not particularly well known. Well, part of it is because some of the first people to discover it made a promise to the local monarchy there that, that it would remain untouched to preserve it. It's these beautiful five peaks. In fact, there's an image of it here. You see these beautiful five peaks, it's untouched, it's majestic, it's, you just think, wow, it's so other. And, and when you see these big mountains like that, they're so other, they're so different. In fact, Everest, like when man looks at Everest, there's only 5,000 people they, they predict have actually got to the top of Everest, to the real summit. 300 people known die trying. Of all the billions of people in the world, there's only 5,000 have managed to get up there. But you look at it, you look at the bottom of that mountain and it's like, wow. Look at that, I wanna, that is just majestic and other, I wanna scale it and climb it. And then we read Psalms like this, we're reminded that he's the one who established the mountains. Elsewhere in the Psalms it says he measures mountains in his hands. It's, it's, it's supposed to conjure up the, the, the grandeur and the, and the kind of awe of mountain tops that you look at, be surrounded by mountains. I think mean, no, he's the one who, who holds mountains in his hands. He's the one who, who literally established the mountains by strength. 
He's the creator of mountains. And so that's the first thing. The second thing in the next verse is that he's the one who stills the roaring seas. Makes mountains, still seas. I've only ever been in one storm, like out at sea. And I mean, out at sea, the only seas I've ever been on in boats is the English Channel, right? But there's one time I'm a teacher on a school trip and I'm coming back from France to, um, to, to the UK. Dover, I guess, and, and we come in and it starts to get real choppy. It's about February time. I think it's half term, February. And so I, um, I venture out onto the, to the deck. I thought, let me just go and see what's going on out here. I immediately regretted it. I, I'm not particularly a, a nauseous person, but it, uh, it just took me the wrong way. I was, in a, I was in a heap of trouble. And then you've got kids around you, so you have to kind of try and sort of, you know, firm it and trying to kind of play it cool, I'm okay. Let's... Then announcements start coming, we need everyone to come off the deck. And it's funny, because everywhere you look, there was like people basically throwing up around, it's making it worse. And, 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 and for a very brief moment, you start to get a little bit scared. This is only the English Channel, it's not particularly bad, but you start to think, oh, this, this, is not, this is really unpleasant. And then you look out in the water and you think, if I was to be out in the water, this would be scary. And so anyone who's been in a storm, like that, some far worse, you, you begin to get an idea of uh, this, 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 you can see why people were scared of the sea. And particularly the people of Israel, that, that in those times, the technology's not the same. Uh, out in the sea, where there were storms, you associated it with shipwreck and people being abandoned and lost and darkness and waters. You, these kind of choppy oceans and seas, they roar, the, the right waves literally roar. It's like, it's, it's intimidating water. It can be cruel and, 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 and mysterious. And, and, and when you look at a storm, you think, wow. And so this image that we get, no, but he's the one who stills the roaring seas. And it's the image that you get of the God of the Bible throughout, of Yahweh. He's the God of, you think of the story of Noah, you think of the Exodus story, you think of the story of Jonah. He, he's the one who can try, he can whip up storms, but then by the same token, he can stop them dead. Look, look, he's the one who actually, we worship the one who created the sea. We don't worship the sea. In, in, in days gone by, years gone by, there would be God of the sea and they would worship the sea gods. No, no, we worship the God who created the sea. And it's remarkable. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why uh, you get the story about Jesus in Mark 4 when he, he turns up and there's a storm going on and, and they're just amazed that he says that in the midst of this storm, he, he, he tells it peace and the waves cease and they stop and, and people would have begun, this is, he's God. It's, no, it's God who, 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 who quiets storming seas. And so when Jesus is doing things like that, there's a, a recognition that he's, he's, he, he is God. And, so he, and, so, and that's the second thing that we get. He establishes mountains and he stills warring waves and warring seas. And the third thing he does is create, or we get is in the next verse, verse eight, is that he makes the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. He, he makes night and day. That's back into creation. Genesis 1.4 says that that's exactly what he does. He, he, he's the one who separates night from day. He's the one who uh, we can worship and praise as creator. Every morning we wake up and the sun rises and we think, wow, beautiful, a new day. But he's also the one that we can worship and create when night comes in with darkness, that we can sleep and rest and the cool of the evening, especially in these heat waves. You think, wow, he's, the, he's, he's, he's remarkable. And so he's, he's the creator who, 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 who mountains and seas, but he also, he's the one who, who each day, 
each day we can say, yeah, he's the one who made this day. Each night as it comes to a close, he's the one who's drawn this day to a close. And so we worship him, not only as our redeemer, but we worship him as creator. And that brings us to our third verse. The third stanza then wants to take us another layer. So we've seen one, we've seen two, let's look at the third. And the third is him as our provider. Verses 9 through 13, God is a provider for us. And again, David draws out three things that I think can just help us lay hold of this, that he does as a provider. The first is that he's the one who waters the earth. He visits the earth, verse 9, and he waters it, and the river of God is full of water. It's very easy to preach this one at the moment with all this talk about hosepipe bands. Uh, I always kind of keep sort of wondering, they're back now, aren't they, kind of the news to try and get us to grass on each other again, you know. No better way to build a relationship with your neighbour than calling the old Bill saying, yeah, I've just seen Derek out watering his rosebush again, you know. <laughs> Great way to, to build connection. Um, can you imagine someone inside, you know, in prison, what are you in for, Derek? Yeah, six, six times they caught me, you know, watering the bushes. I just couldn't resist it, you know. And watering cows is calling me name. But, but I mean, joking aside, we're, we're obviously in a situation where uh, for a long time it's been a really dry summer. You kind of see the dryness of the grass. Uh, people are like, oh, we just, need some, we just need some water and rain. And for us, it just basically creates a little bit of inconvenience. Oh, no, I can't wash my car Saturday mornings, the hosepipe ban. Or, oh, the grass is looking a little yellow. It's much nicer when it's green. Very trivial things. Other places, Israel and other places today around the world, when there's no water, it means there's no crops, there's no food. People are going to starve. There's going to be a famine. There's going to be a drought. And this is what, this is what it was for these people here. It was, it was significant. The fact that God waters the land, it means that there's a... There's the, in fact, I've said the first one was, was grounded in the temple. The second is in, in the world. Well, the third is in the harvest. He's the God of the harvest. He, he sends water... That, that there may be abundance of food. He's the one who, who sends water down. And he's the one, it says, who the river of God is full of water. It never runs dry. God's river, it never runs dry. He, he's never out of, he's the God of resource. He's never out of resource. Been lots of talk, Thames Water, oh yeah, our reservoirs, are, they're, they're running low. We're going to put in a ban because they're running low. We want to make sure we've, we've got stock. God's not in heaven thinking that. He's, he, he never runs dry. He's the God of abundance. He's the God of resource. And this is the image he's creating of him here. And he's the provider. He provides. He waters the earth. Whenever you watch those kind of David Attenborough type shows, those sort of National Geographic type, and they show like the different stage of creation, so, some people use those to almost say like, oh yeah, it's proof that, the, that, that, that there's no God. And you look at them and you think, you absurd. The more you watch those things, the more it just points to this beautiful creator and beautiful provider who's, who's, who tilted things and has provided seas and oceans and waters in and, and just the right way for us to thrive. He waters the earth because it's his. That's what it says, he visits the earth how with, with his water. Showers of blessing. It's the first thing. The second thing in this third verse is he says he crowns it with bounty. He basically provides grain. He waters the earth and he, and he provides grain for the earth. Those were the two essentials for people back then. Water and grain, that's like your, your bread and butter, literally how you lived. And you get this beautiful image, I love it. It says, he crowns the year with bounty, wagon tracks overflow. In, in, in our kind of supermarket society, we, we don't tend to think like this because we just go to the shops. But in, in those days, you kind of picture a, a farmer on a wagon and it's coming down and this wagon is just 
overflowing with sacks of grain. And it's just, there's abundance and it's flowing over. And you can imagine people think, that is, that is a reason to rejoice. There is grain coming. It's a remarkable image that he paints. And it's just the second thing. We get this grain that overflows. And, and the third thing is he says that he keeps the earth fruitful. The pastures of the wilderness, verse 12, overflow. The hills grid themselves with joy. Meadows clothe themselves with flocks. He, he, he's the one who, who simply, he, he provides. He's, the earth is fruitful because of the Lord. Could, could remind you of Psalm 24, 1, that the earth is the Lord's and everything thereof. Everything in it is the Lord's. The earth is fruitful because of who he is, because he provides. He's a provider who's provided food and grain and water and pasture and mountains and seas and, and everything in the Lord, in, in the earth. He's the provider of it. And because of that, it all points to what he says, that all creation, all these things, they shout, verse 13, and they sing together for joy. That all of these things point back to him. All of these things comes back to the verse verse. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And the final verse, and they shout for joy and they sing together. And so the whole thing, the, all of it points back. Or, or in, the more you look at this sculpture, the more you look at the different ways that he is, the more it points us back to say, we will praise belongs to you. You are deserving of praise. We want to sing and shout for joy because of who you are. Because you are the, the redeemer who hears our prayers and pardons our sin and satisfies our souls. You are the creator who, who, who fixes mountains and calms seas and brings in day and night. And you are our provider who waters the earth and provides it with grain and you've, and, you've, and you've provided for the earth to be bountiful in every way. All of it points us back to him, the maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ. We want to worship you. We thank you that you are the one who was, who is and is to come. And Lord, we want to pour out our praise to you, the maker of heaven and earth. We want to pour out our praise to you to say you are the, 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 the redeemer. You've redeemed our lives from the pit. You are the creator of all and you provide for us time and time and time again. And we worship you. We, we pray to you. It stirs our hearts to praise and give you glory and adoration and thanks. And so we pray will you continue to reveal more of yourself to us. In, even in, in, in this very time that we have, will you, will you reveal more of yourself to us and stir our hearts to praise you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.